It is always cool to be coming to you from Pac-12 Football Media Day. The TreeCast is in L.A. Hey, was there anything to talk about at Pac-12 Football Media Day this year? <laughs> Any big topics or, or anything like that? <sighs> Something tells me next year's Pac-12 Football Media Day will not be in Los Angeles. We'll talk about that. Plus, we'll talk actual football as well as Stanford football is getting ready for the 2022 season. And we are here to break it all down on this episode of the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Network. It's great to be with you Friday, July 29th, 2022. And yes, I am in Los Angeles at the Novo Theater in uh, downtown L.A., the site and the scene of this year's Pac-12 Football Media Day. So much to cover, so much ground uh, to cover, and so many things that we're going to talk about, and so many folks we're going to talk with on this episode of the show. You're going to hear my chat with Stanford football head coach David Shaw. You know him. He is entering, gosh, his 12th year as the head coach of Stanford football. Yes, coming up on on year number 12, running the program for the Cardinal. Uh, Stanford bringing two players down to Pac-12 Football Media Day in quarterback Tanner McKee and cornerback Caillou Blue Kelly. Enjoyed chatting with both of those young men. We'll get their thoughts on the season ahead. And, of course, Stanford Athletic Director, Bernard Muir. You might remember he and I talked at last year's Pac-12 Football Media Day, and there were some some things swirling around that Pac-12 Football Media Day last year from a college football standpoint. Well, a lot more things swirling around this year, and they're swirling a lot closer uh, to Stanford and the Pac-12. So we'll get Bernard Muir's thoughts on, well, everything. And we'll talk mostly ball with David Shaw and Caillou Blue Kelly and Tanner McKee. Who am I? I'm Troy Clarity, Pac-12 Network play-by-play announcer, about to enter my ninth year back in the pack. Looking forward to another big fall of calling women, well, of calling soccer and women's volleyball, too. It's going to be a lot of fun. Field hockey is, is, is also on my docket uh, for this upcoming fall. So always fun. You can follow me on Twitter, at Troy Clarity. The last name is spelled C-L-A-R-D-Y, at Troy Clarity. And, of course, I always encourage you to subscribe to the TreeCast, rate it, and review it. We're available basically via every way you can possibly listen to good podcasts anyway. We're there. So uh, certainly appreciate your support of the program. Of course, the main thing that most folks came here to Los Angeles to see was Pac-12 Commissioner George Klievkoff and his thoughts on, well, things. We'll dive into that in a moment and get some reaction from Stanford Athletic Director Bernard Muir in just a few moments or so. But first, this reminder that Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first-to-market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. So head to BetOnline today, use your mobile device to join today, and make your first sports bet. Use the promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, where the game starts. Where Pac-12 Football Media Day started this year, as it normally does, with thoughts from the commissioner. George Klievkov heading into his second year, running the show and spearheading the program, spearheading the conference and and Pac-12 efforts and and certainly that job, which was 
not an easy one entering his first year last year, certainly got a bit more difficult about a month or so ago when UCLA and USC said, you know what, we're going to go to the Big Ten. And that, of course, kicked over the anthill, and all sorts of things are still on the table for the foreseeable future for the Pac-12 and for college football and, quite honestly, college sports on the whole. Now, Klevkov made no major announcements, but, of course, he is very bullish on the future of the conference. few intriguing things that he did mention was that he said it's pretty clear that financial considerations have become the primary driver of decision-making in college sports these days instead of what's actually best for the student-athletes. I think most folks have kind of realized this for a while, but it's still kind of jarring to see a, a sitting college, a sitting college athletic uh, uh, conference commissioner actually acknowledge it. And George also said that it shouldn't be about how much money can be consolidated among 10 or 5 or 2 conferences. Cleve Calls also mentioned that, you know what, UCLA might be in a pretty difficult position from all this because apparently there are a lot of folks who, who aren't too thrilled with UCLA bolting for the Big Ten and, and, and all of the, the things that are going to come with it. And they're going to have a lot to answer for. In fact, the UC Regents is going to be holding a meeting on October 17th. And UCLA might have to call in a lot of the political capital to try to help uh, make uh, the move officially happen. So I was very intrigued by his thoughts on, on UCLA. Of course, UC, USC is pretty much out the door. Surgical strikes on the Big Ten from Klievkov with repeated subtle references to, to, to unnecessary travel for student-athletes. Kind of carbon-bombed the Big 12, you know. <laughs> we might go shopping, you know, tired of grenades being lobbed from the, from the Big 12 conference. I kind of to stick up for, for us and what we do. So, Klievkov, at times subtle, at other times pulling no punches. And there's no doubt that there is going to be a lot on his plate going forward. And for much of his time on stage, he was joined by Stanford Athletic Director Bernard Muir, who was also the chair of the Pac-12 Athletic Directors Committee. So certainly he and Klievkov and all the other athletic directors, at least the 10 of them anyway, in the schools that, at least as of right now, are trying to figure out what their next moves are going to be, all trying to sit down and figure out things and see where things head from here. I caught up with Bernard Muir, and I asked him for his snapshot of, of where things stand, at least as of about 9.30 a.m. on July 29th, 2022, one-on-one -on -one with Bernard Muir. Well, you are absolutely right, Troy, that we are in a unique uh, circumstance. Last year, we had our set of challenges as we we're kind of beginning with the NIL landscape. Now, with the conference realignment landscape coming up again, um, you know, we're, we're just trying to navigate as best we can. Uh, from a Pac-12 perspective, I was just in a meeting with my Pac-10 uh, ADs yesterday where we were very transparent with each other, understanding where we are and what we're trying to do to, to preserve what we have, which is really special, knowing that being out west is an is a advantage to us. Uh, it certainly should be an advantage for media interest, uh, and that we'll wait to see what happens there. Um, and, and at the same token, from a Stanford lens, Boy, we want to put our student-athletes in a position to go compete for championships. That's always been our, our mantra, and that, that does not waver one bit. And so we've got to figure out how do we do that. And so that's what the exercise we're going through right now as an institution is to just figure out how, how do we continue to, uh, on that same mantra, uh, moving forward. 
on the conference level, let's start there for a second or so. Uh, as the chair of the Pac-12 Athletic Directors Committee, just kind of take me through uh, as, as much as you can some of the things that have crossed your your plate as far as uh, being in that role and just some of the, 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 the different uh, things that have been discussed, the different variables that have been discussed throughout. Well, I would say to you, I wasn't planning on being in that role. My time was coming down the, the road probably another few years before I would step into that chair. Obviously, with what happened a month, a month ago now to this date, uh, I, I moved into the role, and now the conversation's really been about how do we preserve uh, our, our the thing that we cherish that we've been doing for over 100 years is this thing called the Pac-10, Pac-12, uh, and so that's been the main focus. And and so really, I'm I'm, I'm chairing the meetings, guiding the meetings, and there's been many, uh, and there will be many to come. And so that it's just more the kind of the chief listener, if you will, but the facilitator of getting making sure whatever's on our docket, which will be plenty, especially as we go into the seasons, um, to start the academic year, uh, is just trying to work forward. But collectively, we we you know it's a, just a great group of people and, and colleagues, and uh, and that's I, I love working together. And it was great yesterday that we had a chance to have some of our colleagues here in person. We've done a lot via Zoom like everybody else around the country in various forms of professions, um, we, we finally had a, a chance to sit face-to-face, -face, which is really important. Clearly, all the, the major decisions are happening at the university level, in the president's office, the chancellor's office, however the schools are, are organized. Given that, what sort of variables can the athletic directors control? What sort of things do they have a hand in? How much, how much of an influence do, do they potentially have uh, in, in how things uh, turn out? I think we all understand our, our roles, uh, respectively, is to, to educate our, our, our bosses, in my case, the provost and the president, on what I'm hearing, what's on the, going on on the landscape, and provide them as best information as I possibly can from my lens. And, and then, obviously, they're getting it from a more, much broader perspective, uh, dealing with board of trust dealing with faculty uh, and so they're trying to process all of that but I'm trying to provide them with on the ground information hearing from my coaches hearing from our student athletes as well uh, and and passing that along to them and so that's kind of our, our jobs collectively is trying to gather as much information as possible arm our presidents and chancellors with good information and then they have to decide ultimately what's in the best interest of the institution what's in the best interest of the conference uh, moving forward how existential is this potentially for Stanford? I mean, there are some directions that college sports could be potentially going in unless there's perhaps some legislation and some reining in of some things that, that you know, you and I have talked about this, that Stanford does not want to go into. How potentially existential is this for Stanford Athletics? Well, I think it's, it's the, the potential is high. We, we, we are dealing with this on a daily basis, trying to figure out and navigate what's in the best interest of Stanford, along with all these outside pressures. And I think the NIL, Alston, uh, the Austin case as well is something that is top front and center for us. Um, whether student athletes eventually become employees is a concern. Uh, so there's so many issues. So the existential threat is real, and we're we're going to continue to monitor and and decide and what direction we head. But for us, the most important thing and will always be important is how do we provide our student athletes with the best education possible and allow them to play the sport in which they love and do it at a high level. And if we can keep all those things in mind, I think the rest will work out uh, itself and, and we'll figure out our direction. And we might, and the other thing that we've, that Stanford's, where we're uniquely Stanford is that we'll do it our way. We won't do it necessarily because somebody else is doing it, but we also have to monitor what others are doing. And so that's, that's what 
um, I think the challenge that lies ahead, it was a challenge I said to you last year, and it still exists today. So, All right, let's talk Stanford football. Trying for a rebound season, 2021 obviously didn't quite go the way that, that, that anyone on the farm, I'm sure, would have, would have preferred it. Good start, beat Oregon, everything was cool, and then the seven-game losing streak at the end of it. Uh, from your snapshot in the corner office, uh, uh, your thoughts on what's ahead, what's on the plate, and what needs to happen for Stanford football this year? Well, I, I think the one thing you're going to see is improvement. You know, I think people forget, like, what I was just talking to a, a fellow AD, Pac-12 AD, about this, and he said, Stanford back to being Stanford and he says, you guys were hit more than anybody else in the country two years ago when we were in the pan at the start of the pandemic, and people forgot. I mean, we everybody else, uh, as I was talking to this AD, said, you know, we we were out for maybe four days. We were out months, and and people forgot. And we had kids last year that, or student athletes last year that had to step into roles that they hadn't played before and they didn't have a full training year-round like everybody else, not making excuses, and you never would hear that from Coach Shaw. But at the same token, that was real. I mean, we just didn't have the reps and the normal um, uh, opportunities that we have for our, not only our football team, but for all of our sports to train in the manner that we do, that we normally are accustomed to. So I think it's taken time. I expect there will be continued to dramatic improvement and I, I think we're, we're in store for another great year um, and and back to what Stanford has relied on and enjoyed in the last several years is this smash mouth football and getting back to the basics and and, and obviously I, I think we're pretty talented uh, on both sides of the ball and, and that talent should shine uh, in the coming year. A couple last things here for you. Um, obviously so much is up in the air here Last time I talked with David Shaw about this, January 2021, or uh, yeah, January 2021, 20, uh, he said that he was at that point confident that the series with Notre Dame would continue past 2024. Any latest update on that? Number one and number two. Assuming UCLA and USC head out the door, could there be potential non-conference meetings with UCLA and USC in football in particular? Boy, Troy, as always, you're right on on top of things, looking ahead. Um, I I would say as far as the Notre Dame series, I've had conversations with my counterpart there. I I know that there's of great interest for them to continue coming out to California and and playing. And so I'd expect at some point they are still obviously in the middle of TV negotiations and they've got to finalize that. And then we'll I'll probably get back on the docket as trying to schedule future games because it, it means it's important to both institutions and, and so that I would hope that that would continue and I would expect that that would continue. Um, as far as the USC-UCLA, boy, I'm not sure how that's going to work, when, especially when we're continuing. Uh, I would expect to play either nine or eight conference games. There could be some other scheduling opportunities that could come our way that our commissioner is still working through. And then we'll hopefully have this Notre Dame series. So the opportunities to play USC and UCLA uh, as much as we've previously enjoyed for the last you know, nearly 100 years um, might be more challenging for us to be quite frank, and so uh, I'm, I'm not sure what the future will hold in that regard, especially now that they're in a di- they'll be in a different conference and they'll have commitments that they'll have to, to fulfill as well too. So we'll have to wait and see how that shakes out, um, but, the, but certainly the, 
the, the competition with Notre Dame, hopefully we can continue. may have to face them in the Rose Bowl down the line. Uh, well, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? And <laughs> would love that opportunity. I, I just met with some of the Rose Bowl folks this morning, and, and obviously that game means so much to this conference, means so much to Stanford. Uh, and so uh, hopefully we will find our way there ra- rather quickly, uh, or I should say find our way back there rather quickly because that is such a special, special environment. All right, let's wrap it up on this. Um, It seems like so many of the decisions being made across the college sports landscape are being made. And George Kleofkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, said this straight out, uh, strictly with revenue in mind and not necessarily with the student-athletes in mind. And certainly not, it seems, with the fans in mind. And we've certainly seen that it's not easy for fans to actually come out to the stadium, to actually come down to the arena with, you know, six-day windows for kickoff and tip-off times and things like that. It's, it's not easy. How best can Stanford, how best can the Pac-12 accommodate the folks? I mean, look, TV ratings are what they are, and they, 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 they drive the bus, but how best can Stanford accommodate the folks who actually want to come down to the stadium and check out a game? I, I'm hopeful in this next round of negotiations with George has now opened up, uh, what we've officially opened up as a conference, we can remedy some of that. We have the opportunities. There'll be other new ways in which we can bring the broadcast to the, to our, our, our patrons, uh, and hopefully we go through streaming and, and direct and, and if, if direct-to-consumer, and if that happens, then we can control some game times. And so I, hopefully we'll see some of that. But also, we know from a media perspective that they do love the night games, uh, and they, especially when you're able to broadcast college football throughout the day across the country. Uh, so we, we still probably will have some of that. But we're hoping that we can, at least in advance, if we do have night games, we can let people know as early as possible so we don't have the 6- to 12-day windows like we, or as, as many of those as, as we currently uh, have to endure. Um, but I, I'm hopeful that we can remedy some of that because we've heard, obviously, I know I've been in this job now, close to now a decade, uh, and we've heard time and time again how that has interrupted what is what we've always enjoyed, knowing when the game times are, being able to prepare for those games and bring people out and have fans enjoy it. And so hopefully in this next round of this next iteration of the media landscape that we can correct some of that because it, it has gone astray uh, and we need to, to bring it back so our fans can really enjoy what this is all about. Hey, a new sports season is here. How are you feeling? I'm excited. Uh, you know, the summer went by fast again. This, what happened a month ago, really put a crimp in things. But now when you're, especially when you're in a day like this where you see our student-athletes start to get excited about what's to come, it gets you excited. And, and uh, I look forward to, you know, getting back on the farm and, and getting ready for another exciting year ahead. Can't wait. Looking forward to being a part of it again. Looking forward to bumping into you across all sorts of athletic facilities. I appreciate the time as always. We'll talk again soon. Well, thank you for what you do in following Stanford. And uh, yeah, it should be another great year ahead. So appreciate it. Appreciate the time. Intriguing thoughts from Bernard Muir. And we certainly appreciate his uh, time and uh, his, his thoughts on, on, on just really everything. <laughs> it was intriguing. I was um, earlier before we chatted, you know, he was saying how he was on vacation when he heard the news. He has a, a spot a vacation spot and you know he got the news around noon and he was on the phone consistently until midnight there went that vacation and it's you know athletic directors obviously these days take a lot of slings and arrows for a lot of different reasons and bernard Muir has taken his share as have a lot of the other athletic directors up and down the pac-12 but you know make no mistake about it the big decisions 
the overall issues and decisions as far as what happens going forward, those don't come from the corner office at Stanford anyway, at Ariaga. They come from Building 10 with Stanford President Mark Tessier-Levine and Stanford Provost Persis Drell. So that's why I asked him, you know, hey, what can athletic directors control? if they're not making the big decisions, if they're not going to be the ones that, 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 that actually are, are behind everything that we're seeing play out now. And all he says is, look, I, I, I can give my president, my provost info, information from the coaches and the student athletes and just try to balance what's in Stanford's best interests with outside pressures. And candid thoughts to me anyway, you know, admitting that you know, the existential threat for Stanford here is real from the athletic department standpoint. And look, it's no secret that without some changes in how things are legislated in college sports, with NIL running rampant like the wild, wild west and taking a lot of different directions that it probably shouldn't be taking, with student athletes potentially becoming uh, considered deemed employees in some areas, those are ways and those are directions that Stanford just does not want to go in. So the existential threat for, for Stanford Athletics going forward is real. They're going to have to have some real hard conversations. And again, you know, I'm sure Bernard Muir is going to do the best that he can to make sure that Stanford Athletics is best positioned to go forward. And I'm curious to see who else has taken up some of those efforts. Condoleezza Rice, does she have thoughts on this? Does she have, you know, she's a provost. She was a former Stanford provost. She was when I was going there back in the 90s. She certainly knows what the what the pressures of those jobs, what the pressures of, of that gig is. So what information are they getting from the coaches? What are they passing along to, to Mark Tessier-Levine and Persis Strell? And what decisions will those two in particular come up with going forward? Because certainly that's been an intriguing dynamic to watch over the past couple of years. Bernard Muir excited to see Notre Dame, or thinks it's important to see Notre Dame continue the series. It's important to Notre Dame. It's important to Stanford. He expects that series to continue. Not so sure about UCLA and USC. And it's got to be musical chairs. Going to be musical chairs. Where will Stanford be at the very end of it all? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, <laughs> I thought it was funny. Uh, Herm Edwards, the, uh, the Arizona State head coach, when he was at the podium, he said, look, you know, in, 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 that, in that inimitable Herm Edwards way, you know, every, everyone's got, you know, we're, we're looking for answers, but all anyone has, has got right now is opinions. Until we get answers, we don't know, what, we don't know what's going to happen. I love Herm. He's actually about 20 feet away from me right now. It's pretty cool. Well, we don't know where Stanford will be when the musical chairs wrap up and when the music stops. We know where Stanford football will be. Report day is Friday. And preparations will be completely underway with fall camp heading into the season opener for Stanford against Colgate on September the 3rd at Stanford Stadium. I cannot wait to watch the Stanford secondary get it done. And I think the secondary is clearly the strength of the Stanford defense at this point. And helping to lead the way defensively and certainly for the secondary is a young man who showed some fantastic things last year in particular when he shut down Drake London in a game against USC that, that may have had implications beyond what we even knew. Of course, I'm being facetious there a little bit, but, but Caillou Blue Kelly, big things expected of him again this year. 
there were some thoughts that he might try, try to see, uh, seek his fortune in the NFL at the end of last year. said, nope, I'm coming back. Why did he decide to come back? And what's going to be worth watching for Stanford defensively this year, especially in the secondary? We covered those things with Caillou Blue Kelly at Pac-12 Football Media Day. All right, Caillou, here we go. Another season set to begin. We're here at Pac-12 Football Media Day, and you've taken in the sights, you've taken in the sounds, and now I'm sure you're ready to get back at it. What's on your plate for this upcoming season as you as you get ready for it all? Yeah, I'd say the main thing, you know, is just I really came back to leave a legacy, you know, leave a legacy here, and that's just playing my best ball this season and make sure we get these guys a Pac-12 championship and hopefully a Rose Bowl. That's the main goals for the season for sure. Yeah, I know there were a lot of happy people that when they saw that you were coming back for this season. Just take us through some of the uh, some of the variables that you were going through, some of the things that you were uh, considering when you were making your decision whether to come back or to head to the draft. Yeah, I mean, the main thing was, like, how ready am I to just go in and make an impact? You know, a lot of guys just want to go to the NFL, just say they got drafted, you know, just say they can reach their dream. But for me, it was like, when I go, I want to make sure that I'm mentally and physically ready to just go and make an impact for whatever team I'm on, just make sure I can make a career out of it, not just a moment in time, you know. So that was the biggest thing, the biggest variable I weighed out going in. I'm really looking forward to watching this secondary as a whole this upcoming season. We'll talk more individually about you in a second, but but Patrick Fields, Kendall Williamson, a few other guys who have done some great things as well. As a secondary, what's fair to expect uh, from Stanford this season? I'd say um, a secondary that's experienced. Like you said, we got Patrick Fields coming in who's played a lot of football. Kendall Williams has played a lot of games. Jonathan McGill, Ethan Bonner, Salim Turner Muhammad, Nicholas Toomer, like the list goes on and on. Jimmy Wyrick, just so many guys who have played snaps and know how to play the defense and a lot of guys who are confident, you know, with guys who are experienced, they're confident. They can go out and just make plays for us. And I feel like you'll see a very physical, a very uh, just technique sound secondary coming at you. So I'm excited. Yeah, with college football becoming a bit more pass oriented, you know, I mean, I'm sure short pass, but still, you know, all the quarterbacks are putting the ball up in the air a lot more times than they were, you know, 15, 20 years ago or so. How much more critical does it make make it to have it have it on you guys as the secondary to be on point every single week, especially considering that the, the passing attacks are going to be facing both within and outside of the Pac-12 this year as well. Right. I'd say, you know, like the secondary is that final blanket, you know, that final coverage to any type of defense, whether a run breaks or a deep pass or any concept that you get that's really a game breaker. I feel like the secondary is really your like safety net, really your safety net to hold everything together. And I feel like with our guys, we'll be able to do that this year. How much technique goes into playing corner i'd say that's that's about 80 percent of what it is you know i'd say it goes like 20 percent that 20 percent the strong mental side of the game but technique playing on an island at corner is just the biggest thing because it's really you against one man you know there's not that much help you get there's not that much like any assistance you know so you got to really rely on your technique and rely on your craft to really make plays out there what have been your biggest points of, of emphasis for improvement for this upcoming season? Yeah, I'd say definitely. Uh, me and Coach Shaw talked about it, just, you know, technique. Just technique is the biggest thing. Just keep honing on your craft. Take this another year to get even better than you were last year, even more technically sound to make sure you can make a lot more plays and make more plays on the ball. You just want to be a bigger ball hawk. Just, you know, make, take, take, make turnovers. Make turnovers. That's the biggest thing we want. So any defense does. Going up against those receivers in practice every single day, how much does that hone you 
and the rest of the secondary going forward. I feel like it's any corners and secondary's dream to have a whole offseason with such a great receiving core. I mean, it's like every single rep is competitive because they bring it as much as you want to bring it to them. You know, it's never just like one guy dominating everybody. Like everybody goes and gets it every time in all aspects of the area. So I like it a lot. It's really fun. Yeah, Higgins and Bryson Tremaine, great to see him make an appearance right. at least in the, during, the, during spring game warm-ups. Ben um, Urosik is just absolutely incredible. How would you size up each of those guys? Each of them? That's tough. I mean, they all do something extraordinary in their own special way. Like, they all got so many talents, and I feel like all of them complement each other really well. I'd say um, just Mike Wilson is that route runner. You know, he's just really crafty, a really crafty guy. Um, Elijah Higgins is the freak athlete, you know. Put him anywhere, outside, inside, slot, flex, he's going to do it for you. Bryson Tremaine, 50-50 ball is his. i say 75-25 with him, and um, it just list goes on and on. John Humphreys is a name that you will hear a lot, you know. Um, and just, yeah, the list goes on and on with guys, and I feel like they all just bring something special to the game in their own way. A couple last things here for you. Much, of course, has been made of the change uh, with the defensive scheme. Of course, most of that is is up front in the front seven. Uh, your thoughts and any potential uh, impacts on, on what the secondary needs to do? Um, yeah, I like it. You know, I feel like we're playing to our personnel this year. I feel like it's a great thing to do, knowing that we're not an average Stanford team. Usually Stanford teams have really big defensive linemen, big guys, you know, big trenches. On the offense, we got wideouts, and now that we can really do it, plus some running backs who can do it too. And now on defense, we got a great secondary secondary and we got some guys who can really pass rush we got some guys who can really put the quarterback some time and which a secondary would want rush the quarterback to give us some picks you know so that's a good thing and we're going to play a lot more um, hands-on with the secondary so it should be really fun for sure your keys to success for stanford football this season I can only hone it to one word, and that's consistency. You know, just doing, we we done good things at good times last season. Everybody saw it as just being consistent. Make sure you can do it every single day, week in, week out, till we're hoisting a trophy up. Can't wait to see you and the rest of the secondary back out on the field. Should be fun. September 3rd will be here before we all know it. Appreciate your time. Best of luck. Best of health. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your time. All right. Thanks to Kyle Blue Kelly. Really appreciate him uh, taking the time out and uh, catching with us, uh, catching up with us. And uh, yeah, look, all, all those guys in the secondary, uh, Kyle Blue Kelly, Jonathan McGill, Patrick Fields. Can't wait to see how he meshes with the uh, with the Stanford uh, defense. Uh, Salim Turn Muhammad, um, Ethan Bonner. Uh, Jimmy Wyrick had moments early last season. That secondary is going to be perhaps one of the better ones in the Pac-12, and they're going to be worth watching. But clearly the key to the Stanford defense overall is going to be the front seven, man. they got to stay healthy, number one, and they got to do a much better job of stopping the run. And above all, and of course maybe those things kind of go hand in hand, they got to be bigger, they got to be faster, and they got to be stronger. None of those things necessarily applied for the Stanford front seven last year, especially towards the end of the season. So there is going to be a lot of new faces on that front seven. Tobin Phillips, time to step up. David Bailey, what can we expect from him? Well, we'll hear David Shaw's thoughts on that coming up in a few minutes. But let's keep it with the Stanford student-athletes. Coyote Blue Kelly came down, so did Stanford quarterback Tanner McKee. What a story he has been. Some great points for him last season and some low points as well. What's on his plate for the upcoming season? Our chat with Tanner McKee on the tree camp. Tanner McKee, QB1, heading into the 2022 
Stanford football season. But before we talk about the season ahead, let's talk about the last couple of months in this offseason for you. What have been some of the things that you've keyed in on, uh, things to improve on, things to, to, to hone, things like that? What are some of the things that you've been focusing on in particular over the past few months getting ready for the season? Yeah, this offseason has been great. It's just one more year under our belt. Um, a lot of guys coming back, a lot of guys getting more comfortable in the offense. Um, I feel like for me as a team, just, just consistency is going to be super big for us. Um, I feel like last season we had a lot of um, blinks and shimmers of what we could be as a team and a lot of times that um, the team that we did not want to be. So uh, I, I just feel like making those times, those blinks more longer lasting than really just those those bright shines that we can only last a couple of plays or maybe even a game or so um, but just keep that consistent throughout the season and we've had a lot of guys coming back from injuries so that's been great just getting um, reps with all the starting receivers again has been great yeah and having a normal off season which I don't think you've had since, since coming to the farm having that how much could that potentially help and how have you guys been able to take advantage of having finally a normal offseason to, to, to get ready well it's been great this is the, like you said it was the first offseason that we've had that has been quote-unquote normal I mean it, it's it's been great so um, having those guys back and it's very complicated offense have a lot of young guys new guys that are going to help us out this year um, and, and so it's great for them to get those reps as well and and just for us older guys to start really honing in on the smaller details too, that will take us over the edge because uh, everybody's doing the big things. Everyone's weightlifting, everyone's speed training, everyone's practicing, but it's those little details that really separates teams. Coach Shaw has often talked about this past offseason about uh, philosophy and going back to basics perhaps and figuring out you know what we do best as a Stanford offense in particular. Given that and having gone through the other side of the process, or at least coming into fall camp anyway, any similarities, any major differences that you're noticing from how the Stanford offense plans to approach things this season? Yeah, I think um, it's, like you said, it's just going to go down to the basics. We're going to run um, our core plays, um, and, and I feel like we're changing the offense to where it really suits our skill sets best. It sits um, myself, EJ, our linemen, and all the amazing skill guys that we're going to have out wide. Um, we're going to make big plays, create one-on-one -on -one situations, and then we're going to have to win those situations as well. Bryson Tremaine, uh, what a story. Uh, you're, when, when you saw him you know, at least warming up during the spring game, what sort of things were, were going through your mind? He, he's really unbelievable. Um, he, he has everything that a quarterback could want. He has size, he has speed, great hands, runs great routes, attacks the ball is strong and physical like literally I was talking to Caillou we don't really know what his weakness is um, not really sure if he does have one but um, he, he's going to be a really great asset for us this year and we're really excited for his season because he, he has everything that a quarterback can want. How critical could EJ Smith be this upcoming season? It's going to be huge um, this offseason we've really been focused on the running game uh, something that we definitely struggled with last year um, just he, he's, he's a natural player, very versatile. Um, we could have him run routes. We, he's very patient in hitting the hole, letting the O-line do their work, and then hitting it hard and, and basically making them right. Um, and, and so he, he's just a natural back, has great vision. So we have really high standards and expectations for him, and he's going to meet those. The, the road that you've taken to get to this point, very well chronicled. Um, knowing how special this game is to you and, and all sorts of other things and other facets um, of your life. And how are you feeling coming in to the season, given, given everything? I mean, I, I feel great. Um, like, I, I feel like I'm healthy. It's another year. 
um, with Coach Shaw, with Coach Tavita in the offense. Um, so we're, we're feeling good, feeling confident. Um, feel like the the team's culture is very different from last year, which is which is great. Just a no excuse, earn everything, entitled to nothing mentality. I remember after the Oregon game, watching you run up the tunnel right past me into the locker room, and I was sitting there. And I think if you even snapped a picture, maybe and posted it on Twitter, and said, "This guy is going to have a lot of stories to tell ab about this day." Everything that went into winning that game, the physical punishment you took, especially towards the end, just take me back to that day as, as you remember. I mean, that, that was a really gritty game. Um, I mean, the motto was win at all costs, do whatever it takes. Um, had Bryson Tremaine go down that game, broke his leg, and we're, we're fighting back. Last, last drive of the series, I get taken out for a play, um, end up coming back, and then it's business as usual. No one... No one's going to care what the excuses you have, how banged up you are, who you're missing. You just have to go down and execute. And we had guys step up, make big plays. Elijah had that one touchdown, sent it into overtime. John Humphreys ran through three, four different guys for that slant to, to ultimately put the game away. So um, just guys stepping up on big time, um, big time plays, and we're going to need a lot of that this year. All right, as we wrap this up, what's going to define success this season for you when it's all said and done? You know, hopefully in early January, that would be nice. You know, what's going to define success for you uh, for the Stanford football squad? Um, for me, it comes down to confidence and uh, consistency. Um, I, I feel like this offseason and last year has been growing a ton of confidence in the offense, college football, everything, which is which is huge. And then just, just being consistent with our guys, having our guys back has been great, getting timing down, being able to anticipate throws and routes and, and different concepts like that, being able to change routes based off what things that I see. Um, Coach Shaw has given us a little more leeway on which routes to run, and I can check some different things, which is great. So um, I think just one more year under my belt is going to be really good for us. Can't wait to get it all going. Yeah. Can't wait to see you and the squad back on the field. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to Tanner McKee for dropping by and spending some time with us. And look, you know, don't don't underestimate the importance of having a normal off season. And just from a strength and conditioning standpoint, I know that David Shaw in particular is very happy to see that to finally get his new strength and conditioning coach a full off season to get the guys developed. But that's also important for, for, for getting guys reps, especially between quarterback and receiver. So very important to have that normal offseason, according to Tanner McKee. And I like what he said about the offense and, and, and changing the offense to, to where it suits skill sets best and create one-on-one -on -one matchups. As David Shaw has been, been frank about, you know, let's go back to basics here a little bit. Let's figure out what we do best. And McKee kind of echoing that a little bit. So... You know, it, 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 I had to kind of laugh and, and, and get a kick out of uh, of uh, some folks already trying to place Tanner McKee in the NFL in the 2023 NFL draft, and and uh, I didn't I didn't click on it, but someone put out an article. What what NFL team suits Tanner McKee best in 2023? I'm like, really? We're trying to get this this guy out the door now? Hang on, a lot can and will happen in between now and the 2023 NFL season. But certainly McKee, you like what you saw when he was at his best last year. And intrigued to see how he continues to develop throughout the course of this year. David Shaw is going to be interested in that as well. There are also all sorts of other things that David Shaw is going to be watching as Stanford gets ready for the season. 
Always a pleasure and a privilege to catch up one-on-one -on -one with David Shaw as he has on numerous occasions here on the TreeCast. And Friday was no different. Our one-on-one -on -one chat with Stanford football head coach, I'm sorry, the Bradford M. Freeman director of football. Always great to catch up with David Shaw. All right, coach, we'll talk ball in a minute. But of course, we have to talk bigger picture stuff with existential things happening all around college football and hitting closer to home with the Pac-12 and with Stanford. Your thoughts overall on, on how things are sitting right now and, and where things could potentially go forward? You know, uh, the, the USC-UCLA bombshell, you know, like we're all still kind of coming down off of that. Um, I love our conference. I'm excited about our conference. Um, the depth of our conference, the difficulty in traversing the season in our conference um, is, is still a great challenge for me. Uh, so personally, I've always been a Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12 guy. So um, I'm hoping that, that we're able to stay with that. And I'm hoping that the commissioner continues to work and get the best TV deal and rights deal um, for all of us. Um, because you know, I would hope that, with it, and from all I've heard from everybody, that we'd love to stay together. The ten teams would love to stay together. Um, we're in a world that we have to prepare for all eventualities um, in this crazy uh, college sports world that we're in right now. Um, but for me, long-term-wise, my hope long-term-wise, we're talking 10, 20 years down the road, um, that we're able to, to kind of start to go back to regional conferences. You know, I would love for... USC and UCLA to be playing weekly against Pac-12 opponents. I would love for Oklahoma and Texas to kind of go back to their own time zone and not have to travel to Florida uh, multiple times a year in Alabama, et cetera. So um, there's a reason why those conferences were formed by regions to begin with, and hopefully we eventually go back there in some way, shape, or form. But for now, this is where we are, and we all have to make decisions we need to make. Um, you know, but hopefully our conference stays strong and eventually we all get back to regional, uh, regional conferences. A whole lot to settle in that standpoint, but of course a whole lot to settle for Stanford this upcoming season, getting back on the field and, and, and getting back going here a little bit. What have been some of the big points of emphasis since the end of spring ball for, for you and for the squad? Uh, the biggest thing for me is to getting back in alignment with our philosophy. So many, I've heard, I've said this many times, most people heard me say it, which, you know, we started from ground zero, started from scratch, um, started with philosophy and starting with me. What do I believe in? What do I want to see? And then talking to the staff and getting with the coordinators. What do you believe in? Make sure that we're aligned there. And now how do we make that manifest itself um, with our players? And what's built into that is who do we have on our team and what do they do well? And how can we can accentuate that with the schemes and techniques that we use? Um, and it's been healthy. It's been really good. There's been more subtraction than there has been addition. It's really been a lot of focusing on what we can do and what we do well. And I think that's been a confidence builder for our team. When you can walk out there and say, hey, here's what we're doing and here's why and here's how we want it done. Um, I think last year was, a, was the toughest year we've had in my entire time here. Um, and we we were in survival mode, and you can't win championships in survival mode, um, you know. And we're flipping now to attack mode. You know, we're coming out. We're going to be aggressive. We're going to be physical. We're going to play our style of football. Uh, we're going to go after every team we play. Um, our guys love the approach. 
Uh, we've got, I believe, the talent to do it. Um, you know, the, you look at our skill positions, and you're hard-pressed to find anybody who's deeper. Love the skill positions on the squad on both sides of the ball. But maybe to me, one guy I want to focus on in particular here, and it was still mind-blowing to me to watch and to walk into the spring game and to see him warming up. Didn't play in the game, but warming up, catching passes. Bryson Tremaine, obviously after the, the gruesome injury that he suffered in the Oregon game, the fact that he was still up there warming up just a few months later is just mind-blowing. What can be expected of him this upcoming fall, and how could he kind of unlock maybe some things that Stanford wasn't able to unlock offensively because of injuries to him and to other folks in the wide receiving corner? Well, you know, that's what last year, there's still some special things that happened, and we lost Mike Wilson, you know, broke his foot twice, right? And just heartbreaking for him. He was able to make it back, but by the time he came back, we didn't have Bryce, Bryce, Bryce and Tremaine. And we, and we had a, uh, Elijah Higgins going at about 50% health-wise. Um, but Bryson played five games, scored five touchdowns, um, made a lot of big plays, and a lot of 50-50 balls, and some run-after-catch plays. Um, and then that gruesome, gruesome injury and it says a lot about our, our strength conditioning program, a lot about our doctors and our trainers, but also a lot about him. He came back faster than he's ever been. He's faster, more explosive than before breaking his leg. Um, he's put so much work in. He and Mike Wilson, Mike Wilson ran a 4-4 for us. He had never run a 4-4 before. So the training, the, the, the drive, the, the, the effort of those guys to come back full speed, and now you've got a big-time quarterback throwing you the ball and a healthy Elijah Higgins who's 235, and he's running a 4-4 also. Um, it, it gets you excited. What's fair to expect from David Bailey this season? That's a great question. Um, we've never had a freshman like him. Um, he's going to play. He's going to play a lot. Um, I think minimum, you know, he should be going for – Freshman of the year in the conference. Hopefully, be on some freshman All-American teams, and maybe on an All-Conference or an All-American team. He's got that kind of ability, and for a young man like him, I don't mind saying those things. I'm not worried about him getting a big head. I'm not worried about him not coming to play because he thinks he's arrived. Um, this kid is a systematic kid. He knows what he wants. He's also been an outstanding student at Stanford. Um, dog on near a 4.0. Um, for someone who came in early and has been dominating academically. Um, this young man's special. So when you have somebody who's special, the worst thing you can do is give them low expectations. So we got a lot of high expectations for him. He's going to put the work in. I think he's going to be special. When you were on the podium earlier today, you gave a nice big shout-out to E.J. Smith. Certainly a lot can be expected of him and Casey Filkins as well. Uh, take us through what's on the plate for both of those guys and, and who else is in the, rest, in, in the rest of the running back room. You know, and Casey missed, missed the spring game, missed some springtime um, with an injury. He's finally probably 80 to 90% there. Um, so we'll keep working him and try to get him back for game one, maybe game two of the year. Um, EJ's checked all the boxes. EJ's done everything we've asked him to do. We've asked him to be more vocal, be a bigger leader. We've asked him to really put a lot of work in, um, get bigger, faster, stronger, more flexible. Um, everything that we've asked him to do, he's done. And he's one of those guys I think is going to explode on the scene. And we'll see, too, if, if teams, you know, hopefully justifiably will be a little afraid of our receiving core. If they want to play a little bit softer to, to keep those guys from making big plays, and we get some light boxes for EJ to run in, 
um, he's got a chance to be an impact player right away. Health, of course, has been a big factor for this squad for the last few years, and unfortunately, for the most part, not in the not the most positive fashion. Uh, how healthy are you guys at this point coming into camp, especially compared to uh, maybe how the squad has been health-wise coming into previous seasons? Probably the healthiest team we've had in three years. Um, we probably have three guys, including Casey Filkins, that maybe don't start camp at 100% but everybody else is ready to go. Um, and I've said it ad nauseum to everybody in our program. Said it to the team the other day. For us, health is number one. Health is the most important thing. We need to be able to practice. We need to be able to get after it. We need to be smart on the field and away from the field so that we can stay at full strength. Because if this team is at full strength, we can accomplish some great things. Biggest question mark for you coming into fall camp? Oh, uh, I think that's an easy one for everybody. It's the defensive line. Um, we don't have a lot of experience there. We lost two big 300-pounders. Um, we don't have that on the football team. Um, I love what Coach Anderson did in the spring um, with our guys. They're not as big, but they're quick and explosive. Um, they're also workers. I mean, these guys want to play. They're hungry. So, um, you know, that's a big question because ha we haven't seen them play. They did well in spring, but... And we'll see how when the when the real bullets are flying, we'll see how they play. A couple last things here for you. Special teams, perhaps an overlooked facet of the game by by many fans, obviously not by coaches. Uh, your expectations in that part of the game, obviously, with field position being a big part of what Stanford tries to do on one side or the other. How are things looking special teams-wise? Yeah, last year was probably the best thing we did last year um, was, our, was our special teams uh, efforts. Um, we're one of the better kickoff teams in America. You know, we've got an outstanding specialist as a kickoff man. Field goal-wise, the numbers didn't look great, but if you take away the 50-yarders, then we were great. Um, but we have a kicker that can kick those 50-yarders, and I've seen him kick 62-yarders. So yeah, we're going to line up for some long field goals and, and hopefully be able to make those. But um, and also punt-wise, I think we are more talented than, than what we've shown um, uh, on game days last year, so if we can get consistency in our punt game and our cover game, um, and the next thing for me is we've got the talent to return kicks for touchdowns, punts and kickoffs, and it's been a while. It's been a couple years since we've returned those things for touchdowns, um, and we have some great competition. Some young guys come in and are going to compete there as well, um, but we want to put those balls in the end zone at the very least, create some momentum in the return game. Um, that's probably the one area that I'm going to push for the most because those things change games. And you look at things that, that change games, turnovers change games and, and give you a higher percentage to win, but then also kickoff returns and punt returns for touchdowns lead to victory. So those are two areas I think we have the ability to affect games in a positive way, and now we need to go out there and do it. All right, as we wrap this up, uh, first two games of the regular season, Colgate September 3rd, and some team called USC September 10th. I think those two, two games in particular would be extremely interesting, but maybe in very different ways. What are your initial thoughts on what to expect in that opener against Colgate? And given everything, how intriguing could it be to see USC, perhaps for the last time, at Stanford Stadium September 10th? Well, I, I think for, for Colgate, first and foremost, we want to start fast. Um, we, we, we don't want to wade into that game and kind of see how it goes. We want to be aggressive from the beginning in all three phases, and we want to go out there and play a really good football game and focus on us and playing great. Um, in the second game of the year, I mean, we've never shied away from playing USC. It's, it's always early. It's always a good football game. It's always competitive. Um, 
you know. And, and my hope is in the future that we continue to play USC regardless of the conference affiliation, even if it's not conference games. Um, but um, that should be an exciting game with all the things going around, right? New coach, you know, new quarterback, you know, all-star receiver and all these other guys, a couple guys on defense that they've gotten. Um, but for us, you know, we want to be a really good, complete football team. That's going to be a really, really good early test for us. A lot of tests throughout the course of the season. Let's see how many Stanford passes. Should be fun as always. Coach, thanks as always. Best of luck. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Take care. That's David Shaw. Wow, Bryson Tremaine is even faster than he was before he got hurt. <laughs> oh, God. Boy, these kids are not only bigger, faster, and stronger, but apparently they mend better, too. Holy cow. Already pumping David Bailey for Pac-12 Freshman of the Year. Although the defensive line is his biggest, biggest question mark. Mine, too. And he wants to start fast against Colgate. And he wants to keep playing USC even after realignment. Of course, if you go back to our chat with Bernard Muir, that, that's going to be easier said than done. But David Shaw, of course, in his usual optimistic mood, heading into a new season and trying to trying to rebound from what happened last year, 3-9, and nine, and finishing up the season with a seven-game losing streak. That is not Stanford football, at least not as it's been the last 15 years, certainly. And the Cardinal trying to get back into the upper echelon of the Pac-12. Speaking of which, Utah is picked to a repeat in the Pac-12 this year. They were certainly at the top of my ballot, and the ballot I submitted, in fact, uh, for, Stan for, uh, for Pac-12 uh, preseason media poll, had Stanford in the eighth spot. I know about that schedule. And I need to see the offensive line gel. And I need to see Stanford stop the run. I, I hope I'm picking them way too low, but I got Stanford number eight right now. Utah's my number one. Oregon was my number two. Uh, UCLA three. USC four. Look, they got skilled dudes from, from here to kingdom come, but can they block? Can they tackle? Kind of sounds like Stanford a little bit, doesn't it? I got Washington State in my fifth spot. Followed by Oregon State, Washington, then Stanford in the eighth spot. Arizona State 9th, Cal 10th, Arizona 11th, and Colorado 12th. And it was intriguing because it, it, it kind of seemed, and based on some other folks who had a vote in the poll, who made their polls public, kind of seemed like, you know, the media has the same tier teams in different tiers of four. Utah, Oregon, UCLA, and USC in the top four. Usually with Utah at, uh, at the top and Oregon in second, and I've seen a lot of folks flip-flop UCLA and USC. And then Washington State, Oregon State, Washington, and Stanford kind of in that second tier in any order, although I've generally seen Stanford around eighth or seventh or so, and Arizona State, Cal, or Arizona, and Colorado in any order. So Pac-12 Media Day is done. And off we go. All that's left to do is to start off fall camp and to get things rolling. Season will be here before we know it. Week zero at the end of August and week one on September 3rd, that first Saturday of the college football season. Can't wait. Can't wait. You've got thoughts on the show, of course. You know I always welcome them. I always love hearing from you and what you've got to which, what's on your mind about Stanford football, Stanford athletics. You want to respond to anything that Bernard Muir and I talked about, David Shaw, Tanner McKee and Caillou Blue Kelly, hit me with it. Hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast is the best way to do that via Twitter. I always appreciate it. 
and looking forward to get another season going. You know, we've been, we kept, the TreeCast is proud of being the the Stanford the, the go to podcast for for Stanford fans since since 2015. This will be my 30th season of following Stanford football this year. I'm looking forward to it. Should be fun. And today was great. It was awesome. Great to great to be back. Great to hang out with folks. Great to see people again. And great to start to thinking about getting back on the field. And looking forward to seeing how it all shakes out at the end of the season. And the TreeCast will take you through it. Looking forward to it. Our thanks to our guests, Stanford Athletic Director Bernard Muir, Stanford Football Head Coach David Shaw, Cardinal cornerback Kylie Blue Kelly, and Cardinal quarterback Tanner McKee. And also special thanks, as always, uh, to uh, Scott Swigan and Zach Reynolds for all of their help in uh, making sure that uh, we were able to chat with all of those guys. Of course, the biggest thanks goes out to you for joining us and for checking out the show and supporting the program. Can't wait for the weeks ahead. Hopefully we have hopefully we have a lot more fun than we had last year. <laughs> but we, all, we always find ways to have fun some way, somehow. Looking forward to it. And we'll see you next time on the TreeCast. Thanks for being with us here on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity, presented by Bet Online and on the Believe Network. We'll